The whir of whipping chopper blades announced the arrival of a helicopter before it settled on a patch of grass in the Jackson prison yard in 1975. Then, as confused guards looked on in disbelief, crook and perpetual escape artist Dale Otto Remling ran over, hopped aboard, and flew away. This is Michigan Crime Stories. Michigan Crime Stories is a podcast that explores murder, mysteries, and mayhem in the Mitten State. Criminal behavior has always enthralled us. It's when societies determine what is and isn't allowed. We assume heinous crimes are committed by monsters, individuals we dehumanize in an effort to make sense of their deeds. Their victims sometimes seem distant, just faded names in a passing headline. But the terrifying truth is that crimes are committed by ordinary people, just like you and me. And many of those crimes have been right in our own backyard. My name is Gus Burns. And I'm Darcy Moran. We're reporters for MLive.com and your host for Michigan Crime Stories. This episode is titled, Flight Risk. Monetta Har, a rookie part-time sports writer and photographer for the Jackson Citizen Patriot, was in the newsroom when everything stopped. There had been an escape from the nearby Jackson State Prison, and a helicopter was involved. With no one else available, Har's editor ordered her to get to the prison immediately. Har, who usually walked to work, hopped in the passenger seat of a feature writer's blue Nissan, and the two sped off. It was shortly after 10.15 a.m. on June 6, 1975. It was a Friday. You know, over the scanner, you could hear how this helicopter dropped in and and picked him up, and everybody was dumbfounded. I'm sure all the prison guards were dumbfounded on the catwalks and everything. Our reporters and photographers were equally as dumbfounded that they pulled this off. Har was dropped off in front of a menacing mid-1800s-built prison with gothic-looking walls. The 20-something reporter slipped through the gates just as they were closing and the prison was placed on full lockdown. Inside, she found another Jackson Citizen Patriot reporter who'd already arrived. He seemed annoyed that the assigned photographer was a young woman, Har remembers. I mean, I I get what he's saying. It's an all-male facility and and the largest walled prison in the world and all that, but back then, um, (laughs) he didn't have much use for uh, women reporters or photographers, so... He made it clear what he thought of them sending me, like, oh, this is a last-ditch effort or something, I don't know. Hearing the degrading exchange, a high-ranking prison official took pity on her, she said. He told her to get in his golf cart, and they drove directly to the highest vantage point in the prison. I just remember layers and layers of cells, you know. um, The inside was pretty large, the common area where they could go, of course, Alarms were going off then, and nobody was out there. But, yeah, it's a huge, it was a huge area where they could go outside. And I remember the grass and and all that. But I was scared of the whole thing, the whistles going, the alarms going, all the guards yelling. And um, it was a, a very terrifying thing, thinking of all these thousands of prisoners in their cells. And, and here I was on the top floor looking down. 
Later that day, while Har was in the darkroom developing photos that would run in newspapers across the nation, Dale Otto Remling was now on the run, again. Dale Otto Remling, at the time of his escape from Jackson State Prison, was 46 with James Dean hair, a wrinkled brow, beaming smile, friendly personality, and a lengthy rap sheet. Remling's eventual attorney, James D. Adams, who is now retired but still lives in Jackson County, remembers Remling as, quote, a very pleasant man, not very well educated, but reasonably well spoken, unquote. Born on the 4th of July in Oklahoma, Remling's first known prison stint was in 1955, after police arrested him in California for stealing a U.S. Forest Service appraiser's identity and writing bad checks. Remling served a sentence in Soledad State Penitentiary in Monterey County, California. There he made his first successful prison escape, although he is only free for three days before being rearrested. In 1971, Remling was arrested for grand larceny of an airplane and sent back to prison in California, but he escaped again. This time he made his way to Sydney in Montcalm County, Michigan, where he passed himself off as a wealthy Colorado rancher, used a stolen alias, and ended up marrying the daughter of the town's wealthiest man, according to news reports. Within the next couple years, Remling and a friend committed a farmjacking. They reportedly robbed 400 hogs from a family in Nebraska at gunpoint, and then attempted to sell the pigs in Iowa. The problem was, they didn't have the necessary health records, without which, the hogs were worthless. Remling returned to Michigan and continued his habit of writing bad checks. Police ultimately arrested Remling in Ionia County. His true identity was revealed and a judge sentenced him to 10 years in prison. He was to serve a simultaneous sentence for the out-of-state hog theft. Remling landed behind bars in Jackson State Prison in 1973, but he had no intention of staying. For two years, he worked to hatch an escape plan with the help of a girlfriend and other accomplices on the outside. Adams, Remling's attorney, remembers it this way. He planned an escape with his girlfriend. They hired a, a, a pilot, or they, they hit, actually they hijacked a, a helicopter and, and held the pilot at knife point and um, took him over to the prison flew him over the prison, he flew in and landed in the yard, Mr. Remling got in the airplane, they left. Um, he was put off the airplane of Stockbridge, I think, somewhere north of here, uh, where he was supposed to be picked up by his girlfriend. She didn't show for some reason, I think she has some car trouble or something. In any event, he spent the night in the woods Walked into a bar the next day, was recognized by the, apparently by the bartender. They called the police, they picked him up, and he brought him back to prison. Here's reporter Manetta Haar again. I was so excited by the whole thing. This was a Friday, and so the next day I came into work in the afternoon and just hung out because I, I was just so um, taken with this whole thing. And... Over the scanner, it came over that um, they thought they had captured Dale Otto Remling in Leslie, just north of Jackson, about 10 miles. And I was there, and a photographer was there, and so the city editor told me to, to go. Remling told authorities he spent the night being feasted upon by mosquitoes while hiding in bushes in a vacant barn. The following day, he hitchhiked into Leslie had a bite to eat in a restaurant, 
bought clean clothes, new shoes, a toothbrush, and a razor from a department store, and then casually walked into a nearby bar. Oh, they said he was, he looked real nice. He was just very calm. He obviously had changed clothes because he didn't have any prison garb on. And um, he was just sitting there having a drink, and nobody had any idea who he was until people came storming in. And, you know, I don't know how they were tipped off that he was there, but somebody let somebody know, and all of a sudden they were flooded with police and prison officials. So everybody at the bar was just shocked that this mild-mannered guy was sitting there at the bar having a drink, and here he's the one that the whole nation read about getting a helicopter ride out of, out of the prison. For his 30 hours and 8 minutes of freedom, prosecutors would charge Remling with kidnapping and skyjacking, a federal crime. At least four others, including two women who drove decoy cars, were also charged federally with a count each of conspiracy to commit air piracy. Remling received a 20-year federal prison sentence and served it in Marion, Illinois. There would be no more attempted prison escapes. Remling was released in 1993 at age 65 and lived the remainder of his life in Bakersfield, California. He died in July of 1999 at age 71, leaving behind a legacy as one of the more prolific escape artists. He left behind a little bit of insight, too. Not long after his Jackson prison escape, when asked by an Associated Press reporter about his choice of a helicopter, he said, quote, That was the easiest way. I didn't have enough nerve to try the wall. I'm getting a little old for that. Hi, this is Darcy Moran with Michigan Crime Stories, and I'm sitting here with Gus Burns. Gus, thanks for telling this story today. No problem. And just to start out, this is kind of a funny one. I know we've looked at this topic before, and it's kind of interesting because of how absolutely brazen it is. Can you tell me a little bit more about like the planning that went into this? Because it seems like a lot to pull off a helicopter prison escape. From what you, what I've read about Mr. Remling, he was not a stranger to breaking out of prison, so he had done it a couple times before. And then when he got back this time, he was probably getting a little cocky because he had been out for several years before this escape, before he went back to the, and ended up in Jackson. According to reports, he spent about two years working on this, and he was working with a girlfriend as well as other people he knew from prison or, uh, or on the outside. And according to some reports, he had actually tried an escape prior to the one which we talked about in this podcast, and that was a couple weeks ahead of time. He had a... An, a former inmate on the outside who took flying lessons and then tried to, he actually stole a helicopter from an airport in Northland and then they found it crashed somewhere near the prison so they believed that that was actually a first attempt and that at that point they realized hey we this guy doesn't know enough about flying a helicopter we need a professional and that's how they landed on the uh, idea to hijack a helicopter so that's kind of funny, though. Did prison officials find out after the fact that there had been this helicopter found nearby, like, ahead of time? I mean, I think the helicopter was, it was weeks before, so I think the helicopter was found, but they didn't make the connection until after this escape. When he was talking to FBI agents, when they captured him and questioned him, he mentioned that the inspiration for this idea was there was some millionaire had escaped years before from a Mexican prison, 
and he was reportedly living in southwest U.S., and he was a free man again. So, and he escaped using a helicopter. So, and there actually, at the time, although Remling hadn't seen it, there was a movie called Breakout that had been released weeks before his escape that was based on this famous Mexican millionaire's escape from a mis- or Mexican prison. And it's kind of this funny thing, too, because, I, you know, here I'm thinking that this is a particularly unusual case, but as we're talking about it, I look it up online, and it's, like, not that uncommon of a thing for someone to try and break out via helicopter. And actually, just as soon as, uh, or as recent as last year, 2018, I guess a notorious French gangster uh, escaped using a helicopter to get out of prison. And the funny part, too, although it's not really mm-hmm. funny, but he had gotten out, you know, something like five years before using explosives. <laughs> so it's like kind of a common theme here. Did you learn much when looking into this about how common it is to have escapes or escape attempts from prisons? Uh, I spoke with Chris Gouts, who's a spokesperson for the Michigan Department of Corrections, and he said that they have reports, but he you can't really trust them because they, they include escapes from minimal security prisons and places that don't have gates. But I asked him about this case and how strange it was compared to other escapes he was aware of. And he brought up at least three other ones that were not quite as bold as a helicopter, but were pretty bold. And uh, he talked about one that was in 2010 where three people up at Kinross facility in the Upper Peninsula, they waited for a contractor to come in to deliver whatever with a semi. And then they hijacked the semi and they tried to run it through the gate. They made it through the gate, but they got stuck on a bunch of barbed wire the truck did. So then they got out and started to run away. And then one of the escapees was shot by a guard in the watchtower. Uh, He also brought up one in Detroit. I think this one happened back in 1994. Whoever was helping the convicts threw over guns and bolt cutters into the, the yard area. And then they grabbed the bolt cutters, started cutting through these fences. And meanwhile, they used the guns to fend off the guards. And a total of 10 Prisoners got out in that one. Wow, that's quite a bit. (laughs) And was there a third one? Uh, There was one more that happened in the UP that was basically a guard had kind of fallen in love with an inmate, and then he was working with her to get out, and it it was just a a case where she snuck him into a laundry basket and covered him up, and he was able to get out. In in all these cases, I think everyone got caught, so usually when you escape, it, it doesn't end up lasting that long. Well, and I, I should note, as you say there, the first one you noted about them trying to ram a gate to get out. I believe that's actually a story we told, if anyone wants to go back and listen, in the Muskegon Massacre episode, uh, Mr. Seth Provaki. So just an interesting note there. But yeah, it, it's crazy how often it does seem to happen, because I was just looking online, and just this year, uh, I guess some inmates tried to escape by making dummies of themselves. <laughs> so it's there's just kind of some oddities to this. But That reminds me, you were looking at this story, and I know we were kind of chuckling beforehand. It seemed like Mr. Remling had a a lot of bravado, a lot of character. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, Yeah, like, there's a couple pictures of him, and he he has, like, uh, I mean, like, I called it James Dean hair. I mean, he just looks, like, kind of, like, a almost mischievous. Like, he's older in his pictures because he's in his late 40s, but he's got kind of a mischievous look to him, and he seems to be, like, a happy criminal. And, and, well, uh, he might be. He keeps getting out. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you get kind of this mischievous 
feeling from him. There's a, a note under the captions in one of the papers I was reading, old papers, archived papers I was reading, and it says uh, he wouldn't smile, and it shows him kind of smirking or biting his lip. And the AP, he told the AP reporter, I'd like to smile, but I can't because I'm missing a tooth. I don't know if he lost it during his escape and he was embarrassed or what, but he kind of had like, you know, he was concerned about that. So he's a, a little vain, I guess, in that sense. And then the other one, they, they actually broke out a, a side story about this, you know, days after the escape and after the, or days after the arrest. And they were like calling him a prison reformist because when he was in front of the cameras and, and he was talking to them and he was saying, hey, we need to reform prisons. It means we, we should have less prisons and we should have community-based rehabilitation. So he was a big, they started calling him a prison reformist in the in the side story <laughs> instead of a escape artist so maybe that's what he was trying to do the whole time he was just trying to show you know what prisoners can do on the other side right they, they just want to get out and get a beer or something right <laughs> i mean you got to give the guy some props for his optimism he never gave it. he was always a cup half full because i mean he never was going to accept 10 years behind bars he was going to spend his time hoping and figuring things out and being ambitious and we don't know of him getting into any trouble uh, after after finally being released. Uh, well, his attorney actually told me that when he got out, he asked his attorney to have dinner with him at some point. So they had dinner, and then he doesn't. He kind of lost touch with him. He said it was just a quick dinner, nothing that he really remembered. And then, as far as he knew, Remling went out west, and was married, and lived on some ranch up until his death. But he does also recall that at one point he was contacted by the FBI, and that was after he finished this sentence for the escape. And they asked him where he was, and he said, I don't know, and if I did, I wouldn't tell you because of attorney-client privilege. And we don't know what that was about or anything. I have not found out what that was for. (laughs) All right, so some mystery to this one, but... uh... Well, anyways, Gus, uh, thank you for telling this story. It is kind of a quirky one, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I'm Darcy Moran. I'm Gus Burns. And this is Michigan Crime Stories. Thanks to Tanya Magellis for the audio editing on this episode, and thanks to John Counts for the music. And I would like to say thanks to the former Jackson Citizen Patriot reporter, Monetta Har, and Remling's former attorney, James Adams, for sharing their recollections of this story with me. 